0: Okay, if I were to ask you, and I am asking you, I guess, is God patient with you? Would you be able to honestly answer yes? I know that you, you know that you're in church and you're supposed to answer that way. I got that already. I mean, I think the thing is, is that we're in church. We answer our questions a whole lot different than if you were asked it, you know, on a Monday morning or something. But if I were to say to you, and so has God been patient with you? I think that most of us would say, of course. And if I said, how do you know? You would say, one, the Bible tells us so. That is a good reason. But also, I can tell you out of my own personal experience, God has been faithful, has been not faithful. He has been faithful too, but he has been patient with me. He's been patient with me because there are times, as I said earlier, there are times when he should have just whacked me and knocked me out of this world. And I know that when I was so far away from him and I came back on a, on a night when I was in college and I, and and I was in my apartment by myself. And I remember I said to God, if I were you, I wouldn't take me back. I mean, because I wouldn't have, but you know what? I knew he would because God is patient with me. Are there times in the Bible when God has not been patient? I think that there's a couple of times that I would say he's not been patient. Uh, in Second Samuel 6, you've got the story of, of the, they're bringing the uh, Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And they put it in a new cart and they've got oxen pulling it. And they're going along and they're, you know, they're worshiping and everything else that they're doing. And it, the, the, the uh, cart hits something and it's going to tip over and use Uses a guy, goes over there and he doesn't want the cart to tip over with the Ark of the Covenant in it. So he goes over and he steadies the cart with his hands. And and it says that God's anger burned, killed him right there on the spot. David got really upset about that. Killed him right there. There was no, better not do that, Uzzah. There was none of that. There was none of that that said, you better not do that. There was no warning that came along. And I have to tell you something, folks, that some people think this, but it is not True. There is not a place in the Bible that says you get a second chance. Not even one. So, you know, and when people say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. You may not be able to do it tomorrow. And so use taken out. What about in Acts chapter 5? You got the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira sold some some property and they, they said they gave every penny of it. Now, here's the thing. They didn't have to give any of it. But what they said was they gave every penny of it when they kept some of it for themselves. In other words, they lied about it. And when they asked Ananias about it, they said, uh, you know, I remember they said to him, he said, didn't you realize you're lying to the Holy Spirit? And boom, he was dead right there. Didn't give him him a second chance. His wife comes in later. They said, uh, Sapphira, what did you sell the property for? Yes, we sold it for this. Gave it all. Yeah, right. Yeah. Boom, she's dead. There are no second chances in this so i'll say this to you generally we can say that god is patient but there are instances when people are not going to get a second chance and if you're here and you you're you're fumbling around with this idea should i do what god wants me to or should i not i want you to know i cannot promise you a second chance i wished i could but i can't so what does that mean for us well, one is that we can't presume upon his patience. Now, let's understand what patience is. Patience for us, and really but patience is for God in, in this. Patience is remaining steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. And for us, what happens to us is, is that there are things that are not going our way, but we said we're supposed to do this because God wants us to do it. We're going to be patient, and we're going to continue to do this. We believe that God is, God is going to be uh, faithful with this and that's our patience patience is not being hasty or impetuous In we're just responding like that for no reason in reality patience is continuing to work toward your goal regardless of the actions or of others or difficulties you face without being hasty or impetuous in your frustrations god has never been hasty or impetuous god knows exactly when to act And that doesn't mean that we know when he's going to act. That simply means he knows. So for understanding the patience of God is understanding the work God is setting before himself. He's saying this is where my creation is going. So let's look at what we know. What do we know about God and how does it lead us to his patience? Well, first, I would have to say if God wasn't patient, He wouldn't love us, but God is patient and God has a tremendous love for us, a tremendous love. You know, that that verse that you probably learned when you were four years of age, you ought to say it to yourself just occasionally because you need to be reminded of how much God has loved you. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, God fulfilled the sentence of death that was upon us by offering up, by giving his only son over to death. Now, one of the things that I've, I've struggled with over the years, I have looked at this very carefully. I remember that, you remember Jesus said, what Jesus said in, in, in John fifteen thirteen: Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus was the one that was going to lay down his life for his friends. I understand that completely. But there's a greater love even than that. And the greater love is simply this. God gave his only son. I can't even find an illustration for that. What I'm saying to you is this. Is that whenever I have tried to come up with an illustration that would illustrate, for example, that you would give your own child... For others, I can't find one. I can't find one out there anywhere. And I've heard these preachers make up these stories. And they have never made any sense to me. Because I said, greater love is no one than this. That a human being, that is, that you lay down your life for your friends. But here's the situation. This is a person who had his son given over for his enemies. Not his friends do you understand what's going on here? This was for his enemies. And none of those illustrations will come up to the love of God. You see, God desperately loves us. He loves us so much that God waits for us to come to him. He simply waits for us. Have you ever realized God is not forcing you I mean, I, I think that a lot of people think, think, well, you know, you know, God is a, you know, God. He's a, He's He's going to force people. He doesn't force people. It says in Second Peter chapter three verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, God is working to bring every person to repentance. He sends people to give the gospel. It might have been your parents. It could be a vacation Bible school teacher or a Sunday school teacher or it could have been you got a coach or maybe a teacher or, or, or maybe you've got a friend or whatever it might have be, been. And it might have been all of those wrapped up in one. It could have been that God has been in that business of, of bringing you closer and closer to Him. And He's used the influence to do this. And He may have been allowing circumstances to come into your life that you were so down or maybe you're so up or whatever and you don't know where you're going to go. And God says, come to me and at that moment you come to him because he is making the whole world turn so that you can come to know jesus understand that he's waiting for you to come to himself you know what we see here is that sometimes these people who have not been in church anywhere they have children and if they have children for very long, they realize that children don't come with instruction manuals. And they realize that they, you know no parent, honestly, no parent really knows what to do with the children. And everybody that's a, a parent learns on the job. That's the way you learn to be a parent. You learn on the job. And what they realize is, is that we are not adequate. We don't know what to do. Maybe we need to have something that is spiritual. Maybe we need to give our children some foundation. And so they come to church. These people that do not even know the Lord, they'll come to church. And they realize that they can't, They need more than they can give of themselves. And they realize that there's a spiritual element that they need. And they're going to need that if they're going to have it in their uh, their home because they want they want their children to become hedonistic they don't want their children to become like uh, the people that they they know around them sometimes they want to have their children have dignity and honor and, and and things that would be admired in their children and so they come to the to church looking for help and what they find is jesus and jesus gives them much more than help this is one of the beautiful things that happens Do you realize that God has been in that process the whole way? Bringing them in because Jesus changes them into a new creation. And that makes them better at raising their children. Still don't raise robots. I'm not trying to tell you that. But it makes you better at raising your children. Because you have Jesus in your heart. And and I'll tell you. When children truly see Jesus in their parents' hearts, they want Jesus in their hearts too. That's the truth. So God is very patient in bringing us to himself. And, and I know that sometimes that we think, you know, God is a long ways off and, and, and he's not with us. And I, I got you all of that. Things are going wrong. Things are going bad. I got all of that kind of stuff. And we, while we might forget the love of God... He never removes his love for those who come to him. He never, 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 never removes his love. I don't care what you're going through. God still loves you. Romans chapter 8 verse 38 says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation... Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can get a long ways away from God. I understand that, but He never gets very far from you. When I was working on my doctor of ministry and uh, at uh, Golden Gate Seminary, there was another classmate, I and mean, we were we were sharing in this this uh, cohort of of uh, students, probably ten or twelve is all we really ever had, ten or twelve in this in this group. And one of those guys, he told a story. He told a story about back a long time before when he was working in a secular job. He had a boss, boss who evidently really loved his wife, but his wife decided to run off with another man. And she ran off with another man and she divorced him. And that man, that boss, that boss never said a bad word about her, not ever. And this whole time that she was gone and all the things that went on. Well, time passed and she got a deathly disease. I think it was cancer. I don't remember. And what happened was the man that she was living with, the one she ran off from her husband to go live with, he deserted her. A lot of men do that, by the way. That woman they're living with gets deathly ill. And the way they cope with it is they abandon them. And so she had no one to take care of her, no one to to lean on in this situation. So she called her ex-husband, this boss, called him up, told told him the situation. He said, that day my boss went over, picked her up, remarried her, and took care of her the rest of her life. Here's the story, folks. My friend, a classmate, said this. I learned what the love of God was like when I knew that man. And here it is. He said, wow, his wife got a long ways away from him. He never got very far from her. And he loved her that much. Do you realize how much God loves you? you realize how much he loves you? Because you may get a long ways from him, but he's never that far from you. God loves us so much. God has plans for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Many people think that coming to God will, <laughs> that will make their lives a disaster. They think that God will keep them from their greatest joys in their life. And they'll have to, they'll, you know, they'll have to become missionaries and preachers and all of that kind of stuff they ever come to God. Let me tell you what a preacher is. A preacher is somebody that's not good at anything. Tell you exactly what it is. And the reason I know that is, is because so many times I'm standing up here and he said, I've been failing at everything I do. I think God's calling me into the ministry. I mean, I heard that many more times than you know. And I'm going, that's not the way it works, guys. It's not the way that it should work anyway. You know, God takes who you are and gives you more than you would have without him. He may not change your profession. He certainly will change how you do your profession. You'll do it in a different way. You'll do it with the the Holy Spirit within you. And if you'll allow the Spirit to fill you up, you'll have the fruit of the Spirit. The characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'll tell you, when you start working like that, do you realize you're working in the, God, in the plans that God has for you? And you work in those plans, and it's better for you to work in God's plans than it is to try to work on your own. Earl Nightingale said that if honesty wasn't something that, was, you know, that, that existed, it would have to be invented to do the best way to do business. You see, if it wasn't for the fact that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if they didn't exist, they would need to be invented in order for you to live your life out in the best way possible. That's the way that God changes us and and has us walk in his plans. However, the world around us tries to convince us that we're better off living out our own plans The world around us said, why don't you try to be God yourself? Why don't you try to make your own decisions? And do the things and make the judgments like a God would. That's this lie that I, that's heard from the very beginning back in, in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 when the, when, when the serpent is, is talking to Eve. He, he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, that fruit that he wasn't supposed to, they weren't supposed to eat of, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Well, think, We think we know good and evil. We will think we know good and evil, but we know good and evil not because we have decided it on our own. We've de- we know good and evil because God has determined what's good, and God has determined what is evil. And when we don't do that, we cannot walk in God's plans for our lives because what happens is we make ourselves out to be God, and you cannot, you not, cannot let God be your master while you're trying to be the master yourself. And so you find that what you're doing is, is you're opposing God. You're not going to be able to get what you want if you're opposing God. If you're in the Navy and you've got somebody under your command and, it, and he or she doesn't do what you tell them to, do you think they're for you or with you or against you? They're against you. If you're working in business and you've got somebody that's working for you or working under you, they don't do what you say. you think they're, they're with you or against you? They're against you. And so the, here's the situation. Why would you believe that if you won't, you, won't, you won't progress in the Navy like you should, or you wouldn't progress in the work like you should, you're going to progress with God while you're against him the whole time? Why would that actually be true? You can't have God's plans while you're opposed to him. For God has some requirements for his plans. He see, has requirements for us to see his plans, that is. Malachi or Micah, Micah, I'm sorry, I said Malachi, but Micah, Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God requires that we copy him in his judge, in his justice. He doesn't say, I want you to determine what's right and I want you to determine what's wrong. See, we don't judge what is good and evil. We only know what's good and evil because he tells us, and he tells us in this book right here. That's how we know what's good and evil. Have you ever heard Billy Graham preach? When he was alive, at least, or at least you can watch him now, you can watch him on tape or whatever on on TV. You will see that he hardly goes a minute without saying, the Bible says, and you know why he's saying that? Because it's not him that's saying that. It's not me that has determined what's right or what's wrong. It's God who's determined what's right and what's wrong. God requires that we copy him in his kindness. Kindness only means something when there's no advantage. There's no advantage for us. We, we, we are kind to people that may not, may not even be kind to us. We see kindness in our food pantry. On Tuesdays, the people that work in it, people who give to it. People who bring food to it, and so we, we may never see any of those people, but that's not the point, folks. The point is not whether or not we're going to see those people. We'd love for every last one of them to come to church here, but if they don't, we're still going to show them kindness. That's exactly what we're going to do. Too many people are shunned in churches because they will never give much, they'll never attract much, they'll never be. You know, they, they look at those people and say, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want those people here." And so I was in Mexico in 1975 as a college student. First mission trip I'd ever been on. And we're working, and all of the children that were all hanging around us. And these little children were, you know, some of them, all they had to wear was their underwear. That's all they had to, you know, they were nasty. They were really nasty. I didn't want to pick any of them up. I didn't want to touch any of them. That's the truth. But my, my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, she reached down and she grabbed those little children and hugged on those little children. Boy, did I hate that. I, you know, but why? Because it showed what a hypocrite I was. I'll tell you why. And I, did, I dealt with that for about two or three days. And I remember God said, you think these children are nasty. You should have seen you when I picked you up. And I thought about that. And I said, so I reached down and I grabbed those children. And I started hugging on those children. And I don't care what, how much snotty noses they got on me or whatever dirt there was that was on me. I didn't care. Because I was just copying what God did. Just his kindness. We are to humbly walk with our God. See, that's what God wants us to do. Humbly is the only way we can walk with God. And what we want to do sometimes we want to we want to say, oh, God, I'll, I'll walk with you as long as it doesn't keep me from being a sinner. I'm going to keep sinning at the same time. I'll tell you, sin is like a drug. I mean, it doesn't matter what the sin is. It's like a drug. You know, it makes you feel good for a little while, but you'll never get enough of it. You'll always want more. That's what it is. I had this young lady That. Uh, came to me when I was in Houston she had a she had a child too I mean she had about an eight or nine year old little girl she worked I knew where she worked I also knew she was hooked on crack and I had to tell her I cannot help you financially I know that any money that I give to you is going to go to crack I cannot do that I met with her every Friday for a long time and I would just pray for her and I told her I cannot do it. You understand, God can't put you in the plans that he has for you as long as you are not going to walk with him. See what's going on here? I'm, I couldn't help this this young lady out because I knew what was going to happen there. He wants to give you his plans, but he can't because you're going to spend it on sin. That's what's going to happen. So God is patient with us. Numbers 14:18 says, "The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation." It says there, God is slow to anger. Yeah, God was actually slow to anger with Yuza because, quite frankly, they were putting the Ark of the Covenant in a cart. And God had said that the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried. They didn't need to have a cart that pulled it along. They were following what the pagan people had already done with the Ark of the Covenant. They were following their plans. And so God was slow to anger in this. God is abounding in steadfast love. Again, I will say to you, you may be far from him, but he's never far from you. And I will say this to you, for you that maybe you're, you said, I don't know where God is. I'll tell you where he is. He's right next to you right now. This very moment, he's right next to you. God is ready to forgive iniquity and transgression. This is part of his patience here. He's ready right now. Iniquity is sin. (laughs) That's the things that God told you not to do and you did. Transgressions are the things that (laughs) God told you to do and you didn't do. You understand? Iniquity and transgression. But I know this. God is ready right this very minute to hold you in his arms. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, I've heard people say, well, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that God doesn't like till he does what I want him to do. <laughs> That's funny to me. You know, I, had, I worked with this high school student when I was in, I was in high school myself. I swept floors uh, each night, about three, three and a half hours uh, each night. And I swept this uh, dress factory. There's a lot of paper and stuff that's left in there. Nobody else was there. And I needed help, so I had to have another guy about three and a half hours every night. The guy that I had was another high school student. He was younger than me. And he comes in one night, and, you know, we're sweeping along. He says, you know what? He said, you know what my dad did today? He says, it was raining, and he drove me to school, and he expected me to get out of the car just because school was starting, and it was still raining. I said, he did? Wow. I mean, like, that's a big deal. He should have expected you to get out. And he made me run all the way up to the school, you know, from the curb. You understand? He said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix him. When I get old enough, I'm going to quit school. I'll hurt him. And you know what I thought? You probably will hurt your dad, but you're really going to hurt yourself. You think about that. Who's really going to get hurt here? And I'll say this. You can go ahead and not do what God wants you to do, and you will hurt God. I don't have no doubt about that. But who's the ultimate loser here? It is you. For God does not show patience forever. He will go a long way, but not forever. He comes to a point when he says, there is nothing else to be done. This person will not come to me. This person will not walk in my will. This person will not be my my child. And and, and I'm going to tell you something, folks. I don't know when that is. We had this family that came to us from uh, another country when I was in one of the churches. And they they told a story about how they wanted to go back to their country and teach theology and teach preachers and all that kind of stuff. And they told it to the senior pastor, which I was not at that point. And so the the senior pastor said, we will help you uh, accomplish that. So they came in, and I'm not exaggerating with this. They came in and said, what we need is $50,000 a year. And this is back in the 90s. I mean, you have to understand this. And so I... I did a little research. I found out they'd been to three other churches before they'd gotten to us, and they had drained one church. That church said, we can't help you anymore. They came to the second church, and they drained it until they couldn't help them anymore. Then the third church, and now they were coming to us. And I went to the senior pastor, and I said, we can either make them mad now or we can make them mad later because we're going to get the same experience. We have no reason to believe that. He decided we need to go ahead and help them, and we did. And guess what happened? We made them mad later. That's exactly what happened there. And see, what I'm saying to you is, is, that God knows more than we know when it is that he said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Living in opposition to God will be transferred to your children. That's another thing. It says that right there in that, in that, in that passage in Numbers. See, it, the, the meaning of the third and the fourth generations means that your children will copy what you do and they will carry it down. When I was in Houston, the area missionary came and told us that we needed to do a, do a, a kind of a historical study of the area that we were, our church was in. And if we did that, we might be able to find what the root causes of the problems that churches were having. I was in a different church after all of this. And I noticed in the area that I was in that the Presbyterian church fired their pastor. Then the Southern Methodist fired their pastor. Then the Nazarene church fired their pastor. And they fired the pastor after he moved the church to a new location. They got a new big building and all of that. The Methodist, the United Methodist Church was dying to get out. He was, he was petitioning to get transferred. I went to the cowboy church uh, pastor. And he said, people asked me, why did I want to come to the pastor's graveyard? This is what has happened in this area. So I did a little research. I found out that 150 years before, the people had been rebellious in this area, working against government and working against all kinds of things that they were working against. And they had continued to live there. Their families were there for generation to generation to generation. And what I found was that area had a rebellion that you could not imagine. It got transferred from down to their children, to their children. To their children's children. That's how that works, folks. There is a way to stop that. And that is to confess, repent, and commit your life to Christ. See, God has been patient with you up to now. Will you press him until he isn't?